Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Good to see everybody today. Welcome to our uh, brand new Bible study on the book of Revelation. Uh, Pastor Kurt was supposed to be here this morning, and so I found out I was doing this about uh, 7.30 last night. Um, bless his heart, he, uh, was, he and Lisa and Jason were in New York for a few days over the holidays, and on their way back, they got COVID. And uh, so he is not feeling well, so uh, be in prayer for him and his family. Um, and it'd be a special, in special prayer for my 17-year-old Joey. Um, it's me and Joey and the two twins right now. Elena is out of town, and so pray that he gets those kids to school in one piece. Uh, it, is, it is a monumental task, and I can't imagine what it's going to be like the first day of school after the holiday today, but uh, man, I'm so glad to see you guys. Oh, Pastor Kurt and I are really looking forward to this uh, time of Bible study with you as we go through the book of Revelation, and uh, man, it's just really going to be good. So before we uh, get into the text uh, this morning, um, we're going to read together, or I'm going to read over you. It is a form of a prayer, a Psalm 1. Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, among other things that Psalm 1 does, it describes the ideal Bible reader. Like, that's what we're, we're doing, is we're coming together in community to study God's Word together. And um, this psalm describes how that should really work. And we're going to pray it together as I, as I read it, and then I'm going to share something with you about it. I think it's really, really helpful. And so uh, let's pray together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as we have gathered here together this morning uh, at the beginning of this new year to begin our study of the book of Revelation, Lord, we pray that indeed we will not be overcome by the complexities and by the difficulties of the book. But Lord, as we ponder and as we take to heart what we read, it is our hope that together our lives will more clearly reflect how you created us to live. So we offer this time to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So just look real quick before we turn to Revelation. Um, 
So right there in the middle, verses 2 and 3, it's like, okay, this, this word delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. That word uh, meditate, maybe you heard, heard, I talked about this on Sunday if you were here. Uh, that word for meditate is the Hebrew word nagah. And the best way that I like to s- describe nagah is... How many of you like to go to Roses and have tortillas and honey? Naga. Yes. All right. So this is Naga. You take the tortilla, you put the honey on it, and you take a bite. And how many of you did, like drips down your drips down your chin, right? But like, is there anything better than those hot Roses tortillas with honey on it? That that is how we are to approach the Word of God. That it is that amazing, that wonderful, that beautiful, and we are to enjoy it. It's, it's actually the way the ancients described the use of the word is how a lion, the, the sound a lion makes when it's eating its prey. It's good, right, Kurt? Never eaten a lion. <laughs> well, <laughs> you've eaten a filet from Midland Meat Company, right? That's right. Same thing. That's right. That's right. So, so that's our hope today. For some, uh, Kurt, you know, Kurt's our resident pain in the you know what. Just so you know, uh, but Kurt and I were talking. Anyway, uh, Kurt uh, asked me how long this is going to take us. <laughs> well, my guess it's going to take us two years. Uh, Kurt and I pre- t- taught through Revelation several years ago on Wednesday night, and um, it took us a year, but we have twice the amount of time on Wednesday night. So that's my guess. So you are in for the long haul, brothers. But I can, I can make some guarantees, and this is a guarantee. Uh, the guarantee is this, that if you stick with us through, throughout our study together, Maybe it won't be quite two years, but it probably will be. If you stick with us, you are going to know. I don't care how much Bible learning you know. No. You are going to know the book of Revelation better than 99.99999% of the people in the world. And I'm not making it up. I'm telling you the truth. But I will also say this, is that doesn't mean crap. Unless we allow the book of Revelation to actually shape our life. We, what, we're going to find out that the book of Revelation is not what you have pro- most likely been taught it is. It is not a roadmap to the future. It is a book that primarily, this is its purpose, and you might want to write this down. The book of Revelation's purpose is to teach us how to live a holy life in an unholy world. We face, throughout the course of our days, we face all of these this constant pressure to conform to the values of this world. And the book of Revelation exposes those things. And it encourages us to not let that happen. One of the things that you're, I'm going to ask you to do early on is just to make a note of the uh, recurring themes in the book of Revelation. One of those themes is victorious, victory, 
overcoming. It's, just, it's really, uh, your, your translations will say it either way, either victorious or overcome. That is the word, and this, it's easy to remember this. Uh, it's the Greek word Nike. Seriously, like looking at your shoes, if you have any Nikes on. That's, it, it, is, it is pervasive throughout the book. Well, what are we overcoming? What are we conquering? That's another way. Overcoming, conquering, victorious is how that word Nike is, is translated. And I want you to notice as you read through Revelation, and hope you'll read through it several times as uh, we go through our study, that this is a book about people, you and I, uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven, overcoming the powers of darkness and the values of this dark world. It is not a roadmap to the future. Now, it will talk about some future things, but just very few, very little. The, great, the, the, the uh, majority of the book is about what God has done, is doing, and then will do through His Son. All right, how are we doing? Anybody want to ask a question on that? Okay. Envision in your mind a picture, a drawing, a cartoon, you might say, of an elephant and a donkey. Boom! What comes to your mind? Politics. The election. Like, that's not even... It's easy, right? I mean, that's, that's like... It is, it is part of our um, national image pool, you might say. Donkeys and elephants together, we get that. One of the reasons why the book of Revelation is so challenging is that it presents us with a pool of images that we are not used to dealing with. All right? So we will we'll, we'll read later in the book about a... Uh, a, um, a swarm of locusts. Remember whenever I was in college, I was taught that that swarm of locusts was, what are the, what are the uh, armored helicopters in the, in the military? What are they called? Gunships. Yeah. Apaches. Apaches, yeah. I was taught that those locusts represent Apache helicopters. Well, there's a problem with that. Because one of the things that we have the tendency to do is we read the Bible through our lenses. And we, we struggle with humility relative to the text. We have the privilege of reading over the shoulder of the original uh, hearers of this book. And one of our jobs, and it's a hard job, but we can do it. One of our hard jobs is to take off our North American glasses and put on first century Jewish Christian glasses and to try to understand the symbols just like we, boom, came up with politics, with uh, donkeys and elephants. These images were not hard for them. They're hard for us. 2,000 years ago, different part of the world, and that sort of thing. 
So one of the things that Kurt and I, that's why it takes a long time to get through it, is that we will work really hard um, unpacking these images for us. And one of the things that this book is also going to help you do is to help you read the whole Bible better. No other book in the New Testament depends on the Old Testament like the book of Revelation does. The book of Hebrews is second, but Revelation is first. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're going to have a very, very difficult time understanding what the book of Revelation is really saying. And so we are going to work at making those connections for you. And it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to learn a lot of neat things. But just as the book itself says... That's not the main point. The main point, again, is to allow the Word of God to shape our lives and for us to learn to resist the values of the culture for the sake of the kingdom. So it's going to be a great journey together. All right. Any questions before we move on? All right. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, just, just so you know, uh, this is a... Uh, the book of Revelation, it's a, a genre of literature um, that was very, very prevalent in uh, the uh, first century... Uh-oh, there we go. First century Jewish world. And uh, it was very popular uh, before the birth of Christ and continued to be popular... After, uh, after Jesus uh, had ascended, um, some of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Zechariah. Those three books have similar sections in those books that are known as apocalyptic. Now, let's just pause there. Whenever you hear the word apocalypse, or apocalyptic, what do you think? What comes to mind? Who said, yeah, here we go. Tom and I were, were children of the same decade, right? Yeah, nuclear bombs, annihilation. What else? Into the world? Who said the end of the world? Yeah, end of the world. Okay. So we have been thoroughly shaped by a more, a, a very, a much more recent understanding of the word apocalypse. That is not what apocalypse means. Apocalypse, and here's the, here's the word. Uh, so the revelation, that's the second, you know, the revelation, that is the word apocalypsis in Greek. And that word means to reveal or to uncover. I want you to think about a time in your life, and normally these times in our lives are times where we are struggling uh, because of hard things that are going on in our lives, pressure, stress, difficulty, maybe your, your spouse got sick, your child got sick, you just fill in the blank, and you become so meshed in the stress and in the pain and in the suffering, what happens? You lose perspective, right? You can't really understand and know what is going on 
because you're so consumed with this. A great example of this is uh, Paul, also known as Saul, Acts chapter 9. Um, if you remember, Saul, Paul became one of the most important figures in, early, in the early church. Wrote most of the, the, uh, the New Testament, Romans, uh, all the way through uh, Philemon. He wrote it all. Such an important figure. Well, if you remember his story, he was like <sighs> consumed with anger at this group of people known as uh, the, the ones of the way before they took on the name Christian. He was, he was a Pharisee. He was a zealot. And it's like these type of people are the problem. That's kind of his rationale. These are the type of people that are the problem. They are the ones that are keeping the Messiah from actually coming. And so he was, he was uh, agreeing to their execution. He was imprisoning them. Bad stuff, right? You know the story? Do you think Paul's perspective was off? Of course it was. He was so consumed in his way of thinking and living in the world that he couldn't actually see what was going on. So he has this apocalyptic experience on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. Uh, he has this vision which that is part of what we're going to be seeing in Revelation. He has this vision of the risen Christ. And the risen Christ says to this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then you can read the rest of the story in Acts chapter 9. But you know what happens? He's blinded for three days. And of course, over the course of those three days, he is wrestling with what he experienced. And God sends a messenger to him. His name is Ananias. To help An Ananias helps him to make sense of what he experienced. And you know what happened? Scales fell off of his eyes. He was able to see and understand what was really going on. He had an apocalyptic experience. The, the purposes, the realities of God became clear to him through this experience. That is what an apocalypse is. It is a pulling back of the curtain, a pulling back of the veil. It is to help us who are living here on the earth have a godly perspective of what is actually going on all around us. That is what an apocalypse is. Now we'll continue to use the word, oh, you know, we call, you know, what was that, 2021 or 2022 in February when we had all the, the cold weather. We called it the snow apocalypse. snow apocalypse, right? We'll continue to use it in that way. But from now on, whenever you go to the book of Revelation, all right, I am going to be given a new understanding, a deeper understanding of how things actually are. Because as you will see, the people that this was originally written for talk about under duress 
and persecution and stress and pain and suffering. It was all there. And yet these words helped them to Nike to overcome, to be victorious, to conquer. All right, questions? Are you a believer? Or are you like, ah, it's a, come on. I mean, this is new. I bet this is new to a lot of you. Is it new? Or, yeah, yeah, uncovering. There is a great video. I'll reference things back and forth. The Bible Project, if you don't know about the website, The Bible Project, it is an incredible resource for us. And if you, um, they have a whole section, I think it's 19 videos on how to read the Bible. And one of those is how to read apocalyptic literature. Very, very helpful. And I commend it to you. All right. We ready to move? All right. The revelation from Jesus Christ. So this is directly, just as, as Jesus interacted directly with Saul on the road to Damascus, so he is directly has his hand in the giving of this word to a guy named John. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his... What do you have there? Servants. One of the things that we try to help everyone around here never unsee again is when you see the word servant in the New Testament. This is to carry us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. That when God took the human and placed them in the garden, He placed them in the garden to do two things. To avad and shamar. And the best way to translate those words are to serve and protect. So these words, again, these are, these are written to people who are seeking to walk with God. To be the humans that God intended to them to be all the way back in the garden. Servants. Which God gave him to show his servants what must, everyone underlines soon. That's one of Revelation's favorite words. Soon. If the bulk of the book of Revelation is about the future, nearly 2,000 years after, well, at least 1,900 plus years after this was written, whose idea of soon is what? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, whenever you say soon, it's like, it's here. It's just around the corner, right? And that's kind of the sense of the book of Revelation. Now, there is a part that's out there, for sure, but the bulk of it is here. But this is one of John's favorite words, is soon. Jesus, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now this John, uh, there's, there's debate which John this is. I believe uh, because of the very uh, similar images that are unique to Revelation and unique to the Gospel of John and unique to the letters of John, that this is the same John. 
Uh, John, Jesus' disciple, uh, John the beloved disciple, uh, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, and that's not because he had more affection than him, but the reason he loved him because he was probably one of the most unlovable of the group. That's why John used that phrase in his gospel, the one whom he loved, because man, if you know anything about John, he was kind of a hard head, right? But he lo- Jesus loved him regardless. So I do believe that this is the same John. Uh, we'll see it here in just a second. He is in exile. Now, why do the Romans exile people to un- unlikely or just terrible places? To get them out of the way. They are creating problems, and so they get them out of the way. They send them to a place of suffering to pay the price. So he is on the island of Patmos. I was, I would have a photo, but remember, I got word of this last night. That what, Kurt was going to be here. Um, Patmos is uh, west, no, east of Greece, out in the sea there. It's just this little bitty island. You can look it up where it is. But it is a very foreboding, rocky place. It is the wilderness. Right? And that is where John experienced this vision. Is John the only one on that island? Oh, no, 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 no. No, there would have been other people. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a favorite place of the Romans to send people into exile, right? Because really, why don't, why don't the Romans just kill him? Well, there's going to be a price, there's going to be a greater price to pay if you just kill him. But what they really want, they want him dead. So they send him to a place where most likely the elements are going to take its toll. That's kind of the purpose of a place like Patmos. All right? Nobody have gotten the materials to write. Yeah, that's a great question. Did you hear Kurt's question? Where would he have gotten the materials to write the book? Um... Maybe not on path, but one of the things that ancients were able to had the capacity to do that we do not is they were able to remember everything that they heard. The rabbis would talk about their disciples and they, they would describe them as uh, peoples whose minds were well plastered cisterns that did not let anything leak out, right? And so it could have been several years after he got he after after his exile he went back to Ephesus. So it may have been because Ephesus is one of the places where one of the seven churches that he writes to. So it could have been after he got back to Patmos that he had the writing materials and was then able to get it written down. The help. Say that again. Years was he at Patmos? Don't know. Don't know. All right. Here we go. Verse 2. Who testifies, like bears witness, is maybe how some of your translations have it, who testifies to everything he saw. So he, this is a vision that John does not just hear, but he also sees it. It's a different thing, right? That is the 
Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's something else you need to underline. Word of God, testimony of Jesus. A form of that phrase is all throughout the book. And just really quick, this is kind of the way that I understand it. To be a person like Jesus, to have the Word of God, means that you are a person, like Psalm 1 describes, that you are a person who listens and ponders and takes to heart the Word of God. And you allow that Word to so shape your life is that the Word of God in you bears testimony. The Word of God and the testimony of Jesus, it bears testimony to the world of the values of the character, the nature of Jesus and his father. All right? So the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, you live out your life faithfully in God's presence. What happens to you? In Revelation, you go to Patmos. You get marginalized. You get pushed to the edge. You have a hard time participating in the normal rhythms of society. How will you respond? John remained faithful. Patmos, right? So early on, how will we respond? Patmos doesn't have to be a place. That's right. State of mind. That's right. Patmos does not have to be a place, but a state of mind. Uh, one of the one of the uh, classic classic verses in the Book of Revelation is the mark of the beast, right? And if you if you don't take the mark of the beast, then what will you not be able to do? Buy, sell, or trade. You will not be able to participate in the rhythms of the culture, right? And what will you do? And we'll talk more about the mark of the beast later. It's something that you uh, would not anticipate for sure. Okay. So notice when that comes up, those, that, that phrase, word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 3. So just like Psalm 1, okay, you are a you are a awesome Bible reader that delights in the law of the Lord and you meditate on it day and night. There is a consequence of that. You're like a tree. Oh, planted by streams of water. You yield fruit. You make a difference in the world. You stand strong and you bless others. That's the result. So John, early on here, he says, hey, this is the result of you giving yourself over to this book. Blessed. Now that word kind of has been stripped of some of its meaning. The best way to describe what blessing means is you're going to be very well off. You're going to be good. You're going to be happy. Uh, that's what the word blessed means. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So Pastor Kurt and I, as we read this over you uh, week after week, we are going to receive a blessing from that. Right? As you, maybe, maybe when, if you have little kids, you should read the book of Revelation to them at night. It won't scare them. 
Because you'll be able to unpack it for them, right? You say, it's okay, it's okay. But you'll be blessed too. So there's this, man, just to give yourself over to the words. To read them. Read them aloud, it says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who, here it is, hear it and take it to heart. What is written in it because the time is... I have near. Does anybody have soon there? It's the same thing. It's another occurrence of soon already. And so, again, if the book of Revelation is some sort of roadmap to the future, what is there really to do besides wait for it? No. It is to be hurt and taken to heart. Taken to heart is... Put into is the Sermon on the Mount's language, uh, if you were here this past Sunday, of putting it into practice. Remember, the wise man uh, heard the word and they put it into practice, and they were like a what? A house built on a rock, sort of like the tree in Psalm 1. Strong. So, this is the, the, the book of Revelation is to be heard and taken to heart. Now, notice this. One of the things that's going to happen is the book of Revelation is going to be full of numbers. The most prevalent numbers in the book of Revelation are the number 7, the number 3, and the number 12, and the number 10. Those, those numbers. And then there's other numbers, too, that we'll have to unpack. They have very uh, significant meaning. But by far and away, the most often repeated number in the book of Revelation is 7. Quiz. How many blessings are there in the book of Revelation? Seven. Because the number seven is the Hebrew number of complete or whole. Just think about that for a second. If the book of Revelation has seven blessings in it, and the word blessing means, man, you're well off, you're happy, you're whole. That what the book of Revelation is saying then, if you understand, if you grasp, if you take to heart these seven blessings, you will be completely whole and full. Hmm. Time and time again, you hear people say they shy away from the book of Revelation for two reasons. They don't understand it. And second, because it scares them. You're going to notice here in a few verses that one of the very first things that Jesus says in the book is, don't be afraid. What the heck, y'all? The risen Christ says, don't be afraid. And then we have allowed a book to, we have limited our access to a book because it scares us. This is crazy, right? It's actually to have the exact opposite effect. It is supposed to fill you with hope and understanding and wisdom to see the world the way God sees it, to have a godly perspective on what is going on down here, to actually have the opposite effect of of scaring us. So I want you to keep an eye out for those seven blessings. They're spattered uh, throughout the book. Uh, But here is the first one. All right? We good?
you, even though it's blessed are the ones who read and blessed are the ones that hear, that's one. That's not two. That's right. That's one. That's 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 one. That's right. Okay. So here's our first mention of the number seven. John. So uh, this is John's introduction to the book, the writer himself. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the firstborn of from the dead and the rulers of the kings of the earth. All right. So if seven means complete and whole, and John is writing to seven churches, what conclusion should we draw that this book, who this book is actually for? Who said everyone? Yeah, everyone. It. This is not there. There were so. This is these churches are clustered in the western part of present day Turkey. That is where these churches are clustered. Now, like Laodicea is one of the churches that is addressed in the book of Revelation. Well, just up the road in two different directions is the church at Hierapolis and the church of Colossae. We probably know about those, right? and in the book of Colossians, it actually mentions the church at Laodicea. It's very interesting. And so, well, if this is just for these seven churches, well, what about the poor Colossians? They're just up the road. No, no, no. He uses these seven churches as an example. And you'll see how he does that as we get through it. Um, as an example of how churches tend to fall into these places of struggle, you might say. And so, yes, he is speaking directly to these seven churches, but he's also speaking to the whole of the church throughout human history, throughout the history of the church. This is for us to hear and to take to heart. We good? All right. Just for the Jews, this is mostly primarily Gentiles. He's writing to. So. No, he's he's writing to both, both. So these churches would have have already by by this time in the in the history of the church, these churches in all of these these cities would have had both Jews and Christians in them. But he is you. But what's happened? What's having to happen is they are to, when they listen to this. They are the the Gentiles in the group are going to have to radically depend on their Jewish brothers and sisters to understand this. They would not have gotten it without their help, for sure. Now, when you say Jews and Gentiles, you mean Jewish Christians? Yes, 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 yes. Because there is also both Jewish persecution of Christians and uh, Roman persecution of Christians in the book of Revelation, for sure. And the seven churches were like distribution centers for the entire area. It came to one of the seven churches that could be dispersed. Yeah, that could be that could be a way to look at it for sure. Yep, no, no doubt. Yeah, and and so yeah, we we will those seven churches uh, in chapters two and three 
But one of the things that Pastor Kurt is a master at is unpacking the uh, historical realities of those cities. And Jesus speaks directly to them. Um, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun when we get to that. All right. We're going to finish up with this. I want you to think about it. To him who loves us. How scary does that sound? Come on. Again, how this book starts and how it carries through, it's not meant to frighten us. But it is meant to give us confidence in the truth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That that reality has restored our relationship with God. Verse 6. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Wow. So the front end of that. Steve, Randy Travis. Travis? Randy Travis. Randy Travis, did he say that? Forever and ever. Forever and ever, amen. There you go. Derek, you're always on top of it, brother. Good job, man. Randy Travis, good job, man. All right. So to him who loves us, freed us from our sins, this is how God has interfaced with our life through his son. And what has that done to us? Like we gotta we gotta pull back the curtain. You know, we got all this stress, we got all this pressure from the prevailing culture. And here at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, we are reminded who we are. That we are loved, we are forgiven, and that we have this purpose. And this purpose is not a fleeting purpose. But it is a deep purpose. Again, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. It even has has the language of Genesis chapter 2 in it. Made us to be a kingdom and priest. Now, hold on. Whenever you got up this morning, you put your feet on the floor, you're getting the sleep out of your eyes. Did you remind yourself that today I am a priest of Jesus? Nope. No? Why not? Well, I guess for a lot of reasons. Um, But this is the truth. Come on, let's pull back the curtain. Every one of us has been made because of our faith in Jesus, uh, because we have accepted his love and his grace and forgiveness, because we've gotten a brand new start. We are his priest. Now, priests did a lot of things, so we've got to put on our first century Jewish glasses. Priests did a lot of things, but the main thing that they did, they stood in the gap. They stood in the gap between God and a hurting and broken world, and they mediated the truth and the grace of God to them, and then they also mediated back to God the pain and the suffering of the world. Right? We are priests. Remember those words in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15? Avad and Shamar serve and protect. 
That is priestly language. When you go into Leviticus and uh, to Deuteronomy and in in those books in the Torah, that is how the work of the priesthood is described. They are people who avad and shamar. And so what John is doing is he is pulling those two things back together again and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Regardless of what's going on out here in the world, this is your calling. Your calling is to be a priest, to stand in the gap, that you become so uh, shaped by my character that when people look at you, when people interact with you, they think of God. Now, a lot of things can get in the way of that. But one of the things the book of Revelation does, it teaches us to not become overwhelmed by all that we have to do and all the fighting that we think we have to do and that we allow ourselves to rest in this truth that you are God's priest and you mediate the grace of God to this world who, like the book of Revelation will say, is ready to fight you at every turn. Okay. Yes? I think one of the things we, we all struggle with in trying to do what you understand what you just said is we use the Old Testament and we have the priestly terminology. Yes. We think of priests in this definition. Then we come to today and we don't really, in the, I don't think, in the Protestant church, define that transition like you just did. Well, so that people understand that what the priest means now as compared directly to what it meant when he was a son of a bitch running around. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. I hear you. I think that's true. I mean, yeah, this is, again, it's just, it's things that once you start to see it in Scripture... The primary way in which God's people are to relate to God, we are his servants. And it's like, oh, that doesn't sound fun. No. It's like how we were originally made to live. All the way back to Genesis 2. And that's how priests worked. And that's how we work too. Okay. I hope. Barbara, one question and we got to go. Inconsistency in translation? I, I don't know. That's a great question. Way to way to way to observe that. Yeah. All right. Um, before we go, before we pray, um, by the way, invite your friends. Um, we got a good crowd here today, uh, man. Revelation, and again, I've, I've I've said this to a couple of you. Uh, as you come to the, your your life is going to be changed through this. It's going to be so much fun and so good to to do this together in community. Invite your friends to come. I mean, we get more burritos, we get more tables, and uh, let's uh, let's enjoy it. Um, but just real quick before we pray, uh, back at the back, Gene Dolan, Gene's 
comes comes to our Bible study. Uh, y'all wave your hand, Gene, so everybody knows you. Uh, as y'all know, that his son Rob, uh, who's come to Bible study with Gene several times, uh, he has started yesterday his second round of treatment for uh, neuroblastoma cancer, and so uh, he uh, started yesterday. Things get pretty hard uh, yesterday, and uh, challenging challenging days for the Dolan family, and so I want us to to uh, hold them up in prayer and be a source of encouragement for their family. So we love you guys very much, and we got your back, Gene. And uh, give Rob a big hug when you see him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this morning we will not be overwhelmed by it, but we will have the courage to trust it. Lord, I pray that as we uh, move out and about amongst uh, the people that you'll place in our path today, that indeed we will be people that are so shaped by your word that they will feel your presence through us to them. Lord, we pray for the Dolans, especially for Rob. Lord, I pray that you will help him to not lose heart or that you will bring healing and restoration to his body or that you will be with his parents and with his sisters and Lord just give them strength as they walk through this with Rob we commend them to you thank you for our family here we're grateful in Jesus name and everyone said Amen. amen grace and peace brothers